Well, today we're continuing our message series of entitled Adventurous Living. And if you missed last week's first message in this series, it was called Choose Adventure. I'd encourage you to watch it on our website or Facebook page. And as a general rule, if you have to miss church for one reason or another, you're sick, you're on vacation, you're on a business trip, whatever, I would strongly encourage you to uh, watch any message that you miss so that you don't miss out on what God has for you. Many of these messages build on one another, and so you're not going to get the whole picture if you miss some of them. Now, our image for this message series, you see these gray, gray people standing in a row. They're all the same, but one person is different. Uh, the red person stands out. The red person has chosen a life of adventure with Jesus. He's not going to go with the crowd. Uh, he's going to uh, be bold and courageous and walk with Jesus. And so God created us to live a life of adventure with him. Now, as I was thinking about this series, I, sometimes I have crazy ideas, and I, I was thinking about how fairy tales are a typical adventure story. I haven't read fairy tales to my kids for a long time, but I was thinking, you know, we speak of adventures and fairy tales, I uh, kind of have a classic adventure pattern. In a typical fairy tale, there is a, a beautiful princess, right? And she somehow gets captured by some type of evil witch or something evil. And, and she is in prison. Everything seems hopeless. But there is a prince, a prince charming, who comes from a distant land, undergoes a hazardous journey, and is able in one way or another to rescue this beautiful princess and once the princess is rescued, what happens? The prince and the princess ride off into the sunset and they live happily ever after. Okay, that's, that is your typical fairy tale. And that basic plot or variations of that plot is, is really the underlying plot for countless movies and books of all kinds. But you know where that adventure plot really comes from? It really comes from the pages of the Bible. You see, Jesus is the prince, and he lives in unmatched glory in heaven. He lived in unmatched glory in heaven, the beauty of heaven. And his bride, the people that he created in paradise, what happened? They were captured by an evil being, Satan, who caused them to fall into sin and into his clutches. And so Jesus had to leave heaven and came to earth to do battle with Satan. And in that battle, it seemed as if he lost. He was crucified on the cross and hope seemed to be gone for the rescue of his bride. But yet, Jesus rose from the dead three days later, defeating Satan and began to set his bride free from her prison. And we know the end of the story. If we read to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, we see that Jesus and his freed bride, the church, live happily ever after in paradise restored and in heaven itself forever and ever. But you and I are characters in this story, in this great adventure, and the story is not yet ended. And so in the time and age in which we live, each person must choose to escape their prison of sin by believing in Jesus Christ. And then they can join him. They can join the prince in helping rescue other people who are still captives to sin. And that is the great adventure. And we look forward to spending an eternity with Jesus 
forever and ever at the end of the story. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus' mission was to find people who are lost, find people who are far from him, who are imprisoned by the devil, and to save them and to rescue them. 1 John 3.8 says, The reason the Son of God, that is Jesus, appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And so in order to rescue people, Jesus had to, had to defeat and destroy the devil's works. And so if you're a believer in Jesus here today, then, then Jesus has rescued you. You have been saved. And that means you are now on Jesus' side. You are in the kingdom of God. And you now join Jesus in his mission of rescuing people from the domain of darkness, from the clutches of Satan, and destroying the devil's works. And that is the life of adventure that God has called us to live. Now today, I want to talk about adventure motivation. How can we be motivated to join Jesus in this great adventure? Now there's a deeper motivation than just being excited by adventure. Now, adventure is fun. It's something I want to be part of. But there's an even deeper motivation that Jesus talked about in Mark chapter 12. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. These verses are often called the great commandment. And so the first motivation, the first priority in our life is that we should love God with everything we have. And if we love him, if we love Jesus, then we're going to do what? We're going to obey him. We're going to join him in his mission of rescuing lost people. And so part of our motivation to join the adventure of reaching lost people is simply joining Jesus' army. Loving him and doing what he's doing. Joining him in his mission. The second motivation is simply loving lost people. Loving our neighbor. The people that we know. The people that we live among. That do not yet know Jesus Christ. Doing everything we can to rescue him. Now of course the problem is that, that lost people. People who are not yet saved. They often don't realize they're lost. They don't realize that they need rescuing. And in fact. They usually resist being rescued. You know, that often happens with people who are out in the ocean, say, and they're drowning, and somebody goes out to rescue them. They often resist it. It's kind of a difficult thing. Sometimes the rescuer is pulled down with the drowning person because they, they don't totally understand what's going on. They're, they're frantic. And so oftentimes... Lost people will resist being rescued. They'll even persecute their rescuers, attack the people who are trying to rescue them. And so we are called to rescue our enemies. In effect, people who are unbelievers, the Bible says they're enemies of the cross. They're in another kingdom that's at war with the kingdom of God. They're in the domain of darkness and those two kingdoms that are at war. They've been deceived by the evil prince Satan. But Jesus told us in Matthew 5, I say to you, love your enemies, even those who are in the domain of darkness, even those who are in the other kingdom. Love your enemies. 
and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And so rather than being angry at people who are lost, people who do not know Jesus Christ yet, rather than hating them, we are to love them. We are to pray for them as we seek to rescue them. People who need rescuing are all around us. I would say without much doubt that the majority of people you know are people that need Jesus, that do not yet know him. Let's watch a short video about how God wants us to think about the people around us. It's called matter. And so loving people begins with caring about them, making sure they matter to us as they do to God. And we may think that everybody in the United States of America knows all about Jesus, but many people don't know about him. Oh, they might know the name, but they don't know what he stands for. They don't know who he is. They don't know what he's done for them. They don't know about his great love for them. And so we need to begin to see people as Jesus does. As we begin to see people as Jesus does, then we can be better able to interact with them. We can be better able to love them as Jesus does. We can be better able to care for them as Jesus does. Jesus saw every person as a person of value. He saw every person as a person that he came to this earth to die for. Jesus saw beyond the sins of people. He saw beyond the failings of people, and he looked to their potential as a child of God. And so we should see people as Jesus does. Jesus saw people as, as lost sheep. He said in Luke 15, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And so in this parable that Jesus told, he himself is the shepherd. And he goes searching. He leaves the ninety-nine that are in his fold. He goes searching for the one lost wandering sheep. And he searches, and he searches until he finds that sheep. Now, Jesus saw every person who was not his disciple, who was not his follower, as a lost sheep. Somebody who he wanted to be part of his flock, but that person had strayed away. Now, the lost sheep may have been rebellious. The lost sheep may have been foolish in wandering away. I mean, it's foolish for a sheep to wander away from the flock, is it not? But Jesus didn't focus on the negative. He saw the value in every lost person. And he would do everything he could to go after that sheep, that lost sheep, and bring that sheep back into the flock. Jesus saw that people were harassed and helpless. Verse 36 of Matthew chapter 9, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus, when he looks at people, first of all, he sees them as harassed. Who's the harasser? Well, it's Satan. Satan harasses people. People have no defenses against Satan's attacks. They are helpless. People are just like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd are harassed by thieves, by wild animals like wolves. They're helpless to do anything about it. Sheep don't have any 
natural defense, do they? And when people, when Jesus saw people as lost sheep, when he saw them as harassed and helpless, what effect did it have on him? Well, Jesus felt compassion for those people. He didn't hate those people. He didn't despise those people. He felt compassion for them. Compassion moved Jesus to meet the true needs of the people that he saw. So what do you see when you look at lost people? When you see people who are mired in various kinds of sin and, and foolish behavior? You know, all sin is foolish, is it not? And sometimes it's like, how can people do this stuff? What our natural tendency, what do we think? Our natural tendency is to see ourselves as superior. Well, I would never do such a thing. How can they do that type of thing? And be disgusted by people. Now, we should be disgusted by sinful behavior. Sinful behavior is disgusting. But we shouldn't be disgusted by the people themselves because the Bible tells me, and I know it's true, that every one of us was at one time sinners involved in disgusting, sinful behavior. And God rescued us and set us free from that. And so we ought to have compassion on people when we see them doing things that make no sense, when we see them wandering far from God. Without Jesus in their lives, they are harassed. They are helpless. They are in sin over their heads and they can't find a way out. Nobody can escape the prison of sin on their own. They can't do it. And people try this and they try that. And so if we lack compassion for lost people, if, if they don't matter to us, if we don't care about them, what can we do about it? Well, if we lack something, what should we do? We should pray. We should pray and ask God for compassion. We should pray and ask God that he would give us eyes to see people as he does. That God would birth compassion for lost people in our hearts. A compassion that's not content to leave people in their sin. And walk by on the other side of the road. A compassion that moves us to do our part in reaching out to bring them to Jesus. And so to do our part for the lost people in our lives, we need to obey Jesus' command. Jesus said in John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And so obeying Jesus' commands is not optional for a believer, for a disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple of Jesus is a, is a friend of Jesus. And who are Jesus' friends? Well, this verse tells us Jesus' friends are those who do what he commands. If we choose not to obey Jesus' commands, then it proves we're not his friends. It proves we're not his disciples. So by definition, a disciple is a friend of Jesus who obeys Jesus' commands. So what are some of Jesus' commands with regard to reaching the lost? First, we are to choose to work in the harvest. Matthew 9, 37. We already read Matthew 9, 36. This is the next verse. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Now, Jesus is looking out over this crowd that he saw as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And as he looks out over this vast crowd, he says the harvest is plentiful. The, the crowd was the harvest. But the laborers or workers are few. And so when Jesus' disciples 
looked out over this vast crowd of people who are not followers of Jesus, they may have been tempted to believe, well, there's nothing we can do to help. I, I mean, what can we do for all, with all these people? They may have been tempted to believe that these people didn't want to believe, that these people had no interest in the things of God. But Jesus told them the harvest was plentiful. In other words, God has been working in these people's lives. Many of the people are ready to believe the problem isn't with the harvest. What is the problem with? What does Jesus say? Nobody knows? Okay. The laborers are few. That's the problem. We always tend to think, of course, when we think the harvest is the problem, that deflects it from our responsibility, doesn't it? See, they don't want to listen. They don't want to hear. They, but yet the problem is not the harvest. The problem is with the fewness of the harvest workers. God needs more harvest workers to bring in the harvest. Bringing in the harvest means to lead a lost person to be saved, to become a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ. That's what bringing in the harvest is. And so obviously, Jesus' disciples, and that includes you and me, if you're a believer here today, we must choose to work in the harvest. We need to pray for more harvest workers. Jesus concludes in verse 38, he says, therefore, pray. How should we pray? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so whenever we lack something, we are to pray for it. We pray for additional co-workers to work in the harvest field where God has placed us. And what is our harvest field? Well, God has placed us here in the St. Louis metro area, is it not? We must pray for more workers to help in God's harvest field here in St. Louis. And so God is looking for laborers. He's looking for workers. Bringing in the harvest is not easy. It's, it's hard work. But God empowers those who choose to work in his harvest field and obey his commands. And so when we pray for more workers, as the disciples prayed for more workers, what is implicit in that prayer? What is implicit is that I must be a worker too. How dare I pray for other workers and say I'm not going to work. I must be one of the workers in the harvest field. Now what? let's get practical. What is your harvest field? I mean, we can say our harvest field is 3 million people in St. Louis, but that's a bit overwhelming, right? I mean, there's not one of us is going to reach 3 million people. Our harvest field is primarily the people that you know and that you see on a regular basis. Now, God might lead you to a perfect stranger, and that might become your harvest field one day, but as a whole, your harvest field is people that you know and that you regularly see. And so I can break down your harvest field into four main areas of people Four main areas of people who are not yet believers in Jesus Christ. If they're a believer in Jesus Christ and they're attending a good Bible-believing church, they're, they're already harvested, right? They're already saved. Some of the indicators whether a person is a believer, you know, how do you know if somebody is a believer? Well, indicators, the Bible calls it fruit of whether a person is a believer, is how somebody talks, 
right? If you listen to a person talk enough, you're going to have a pretty good idea whether that person is saved or not. If they never talk about God, they never talk about church, they never talk about anything, or they talk about things contrary to what the Bible says, you get a pretty good indication this person is probably not a believer. Secondly, you look at their actions. What do they do? The Bible's pretty clear on the actions that a believer, how a believer should live their life. If a person's life constantly contradicts what the Bible says, you have a pretty good indication, no matter what they say, that they're not a believer. Something like 80-85% people in America uh, claim to be Christians. But when you actually ask them the questions in a poll, the number shrinks to something like 10 or 15% because people don't even know what it means to be a Christian. And so if a person doesn't know what it means to be a Christian, obviously they, they can't be a Christian. Another indicator is do they regularly go to a Bible-believing church? Somebody claims to be a Christian, they never go to church, well, that's at least a yellow flag, okay? And so if all the indicators are positive, a person is, seems to be doing the right things, they are talking like a Christian, you can enter into conversation and you can find out. You can ask them, you know, are, are you a Christian? How do you become a Christian? And you'll know pretty quickly whether that person is a Christian, whether they're in the kingdom of God, whether they're meant to be a co-worker with you in the harvest, wherever you're at. You see, you can join forces with people. We'll talk about the areas in a minute to reap the harvest. So what are these four areas of the harvest field for you? The first area is your family and your relatives. These are the people you're going to know the most about. These are the people for which you have the greatest responsibility. God has placed you in that family God has placed you among those relatives. If you're a believer, your highest responsibility is to reach them. The second area is your neighbors. Now, it seems today many people don't know their neighbors. Uh, and it may take some effort to get to know your neighbors. But you've got people living right next to you, whether you're in an apartment or in a house, right next to you. Uh, those are people that are in your harvest field. The third area, which is probably even easier than your neighbors, are people you regularly work with, your co-workers, or people that you go to school with. The fourth area is people that you perhaps do recreation with, or you have hobbies, or some other interaction that isn't covered by the other ones. And so I'd encourage you to make a list in these four areas. What are the four areas? There are... Uh, your family and relatives, right? your neighbors, your people you work with or go to school with, and finally people you uh, work out with, you do recreation, you do hobbies with, those kind of things. Make a list of people in those areas who don't seem to be believers or you're not sure. Now, it's easy to say, well, you know, they, they probably are, so I'm not going to worry about them. Well, find out. Find out. Make it your mission to find out people who don't seem to be believers who aren't going to a Bible-believing church. Try to make a list of people in those four areas and then begin to pray and ask God out of that. If you had five people in each area, that's 20 people. Ask God out of those so it's not so overwhelming to give you five people that you're going to pray for and work towards um, seeing them saved or at least, first of all, concentrate on finding out. See, that's a problem. 
uh, that many of us have, we don't know if people are really saved or not. And we think, well, maybe they are, so I'm not going to worry about it. Like, you know, they believe in God and they go to church every other Easter. Probably saved, right? Um, probably not, actually. But it's easy if we think they're probably saved because it takes the responsibility off of us. And we need to find out people in these areas are believers or not. That's your first task. Begin to pray that you can find out. And if they're not or you're seriously concerned that they are not, then those are people that you're going to concentrate on reaching for God in 2018. Those are the people that you're going to seek God's help to fulfill the plus one challenge in 2018. We talked about that last week. So if you're not here last week, the plus one challenge is asking God to help you to add at least one person to our church family in the year of 2018. And so that is part of the mission. We want to see people saved, but that's only the first part. The second part is to see them added to a Bible-believing church. The concept of somebody being saved and not part of a Bible-believing church is foreign to the Bible. Uh, they're, not going to, they're not going to prosper. They're not going to continue walking with God if they're not part of a good church family. And so on your Connect card, there's a box that you can check to, to make a commitment to God that you're really going to work to try to add at least one person. We're giving you five on your list. We're encouraging you to put five on your list because it takes time. And God may give you favor with one out of the five or a couple out of the five during this year to really be an influence. But it takes prayer. And we encourage you to make that a priority in your life. Now, as we work to reach people, specific people, we're working together with God. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says we are God's fellow workers. And so the key point in this is that we are not in this alone. It's not all up to us. We work together with God. He prepares the way. He prepares the harvest. He works in people's hearts as we pray. And we simply follow his direction. And we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8. I quote this verse enough. It should be. Uh, memorized by most of us by now. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Circle the word power and the word witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so in order to be witnesses for Jesus, we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. When we're empowered by the Spirit, the Spirit directs Jesus' witnesses in supernatural ways. So that we are effective in leading the lost to becoming to become Jesus' disciples. And so as we cooperate in witnessing with the Spirit, it's going to make us much more effective. The Spirit's going to work through us. The Spirit is going to work in the other person's life. And he's going to bring the two together. He's going to give us divine encounters to carry out his will. I don't have a copy of the book here today, but out on the guest table, we have a book called Power for Life. We talked about it in the first message series of 2018. And if you didn't get one during that message series, you weren't here or you didn't pick one up, I encourage you to pick one up, read it, and apply it to your life. If you were here during the message series and you've got a book and it's gathering dust on your bookshelf, uh, I encourage you to take it out, read it, and apply it to your life. It's going to show you from the Bible how to receive the power of the Holy Spirit 
in your life to be an effective witness. It will change your life. Working together with Jesus involves learning as we follow Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for, my, for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so again here, this illustration is of, is of, is of us working together with God. We're joined together. His yoke is upon us. We're working together and we're learning from him. Oftentimes people say, oh, I don't know enough to talk to somebody else about Jesus. I, if you're a believer, you know enough to get saved, right? Right? right okay. Because you got saved somehow. I mean, you had to know enough to get saved, so you know enough to tell somebody else how to get saved. You might not know the answer to all their questions, but you're able to be a witness to what happened to you and what happened to you can happen to them. And this, Jesus says in this verse that we are to learn from him. I don't know it all. You don't know it all. But that doesn't stop us from obeying Jesus. That doesn't stop us from following his direction in our lives. Because as we take steps to obey, he teaches us more things. We learn from him. We learn from him one step at a time. And the work that Jesus has for us, it says in this verse, is, is not harsh. It's not overburdening. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Jesus is going to help you. We're in this together with him to accomplish his purposes. So being a witness, living a life of adventure, which is what we're talking about today, is, is really at his heart. It begins with getting to know people who don't know Jesus. And sometimes as believers, we tend to isolate ourselves just around Christians only. And it's good to be around Christians, but we're not going to reach many lost people if we're only around Christians, are we? But I guarantee you, you're around some people. If you have a job, you're around some people who aren't Christians. Uh, if you're in a neighborhood, some of your neighbors aren't Christians. Most likely, some of your relatives, some of your friends are not Christians. And so God has a mission field for each and every one of us. Now, some people try to excuse themselves. It's pretty popular today. You know, I was born a certain way, right? I was born this way, and my genes, you know, make me this way. Some people use that now to rationalize sins. Christians use it to say, you know, I'm a shy person. You couldn't possibly be asking me to talk to somebody else about Jesus, could you? I'm an introverted person. Well, what does the Bible say? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. To me, being timid is as the same as being shy, as being introverted. The spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And so shyness or timidity does not come from God. It comes from the enemy to keep you from being a witness, to keep you from obeying Jesus. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, God gives you the power, he gives you the boldness and love to be an effective witness for Jesus. Now, you may well not be the next Billy Graham, okay? You may not preach to thousands of people, but God gives you the power, the boldness to talk to one other person about him. That is the responsibility of each and every believer. 
In your bulletin today is another of our, somewhere here, of our Easter Engager invitations. Uh, We passed them out last Sunday. There's another one here. There are additional ones out on the uh, guest table. We've got plenty of them. These are very inexpensive, okay? I mean, don't throw them away, but uh, Blanket St. Louis with these, and we're going to have some other ones. I really like these kind of things. They're, I mean, our little invite cards that told about the church and everything are good, but there's not a whole lot of information on them to get people interested and to, that uh, people can take away and, and engage with God. So, you know, before you hand this out, read it yourself, okay? That would be good so you know what was in it. And then I encourage you, your mission this week is to get this in the hands of another person who needs Jesus or a Bible-believing church. On the back is information about our church specifically. And if this is new to you, if it's just like, oh, I could never do that, you know, one thing that you can do is, this is maybe not optimum, okay, but one of the things that you can do I just leave these things in places where people might see them and pick them up. If you just can't possibly bear, you know, and hand one to somebody, you can leave it in places where people could pick it up. And so your mission this week is to get at least one of the invitations into somebody's hands. Uh, You can use these to get involved in conversation with people. Uh, ask people about what Easter means. You get all kinds of answers, you know, from bunnies and all, spring and all kinds of stuff. Say, well, really, where did it come from? Why, why do we celebrate Easter? What about this resurrection thing? What do you think about the resurrection? Well, you get some uh, quick conversation there when people start talking about the resurrection, the most important supernatural event really that's happened in the history of the world. And... Uh, on, this, on these Engager handouts, there's actually a website that they can go to and find out more information about being saved uh, as well. And, of course, our website is on the back. Now, if you hand this out to somebody that you know, somebody in this circle of people that you know that you see on a regular basis, a few days later or sometime later, ask them what they thought about it. You give it to them, and presumably, if they haven't read it, say, why don't you read it, you know? And ask, try to get some feedback, follow up, ask them what they thought. And remember, pray for these people. Pray for the people you hand it out to. Pray for the people that, you'll, uh, that God will give you somebody to hand it out to. He'll give you an opportunity, and that person will be receptive because Jesus wants to go ahead of you. He wants to prepare hearts for the seeds of the truth of God to be planted inside of them. And so our adventure motivation, which we've been talking about today, begins with asking God to help us to love Him, to love God with everything we, we have, and our neighbor as ourselves. Asking God to help us to see people as He does, to see people as people of value, to love those far from God, rather than being disgusted by them, having compassion for them. They're harassed and helpless, to care enough about people to get over our own feelings of shyness and timidity. You know, really, that's just caring about yourself, isn't it? Caring about your own feelings. We need to care enough about somebody else. If you saw, you know, a child running out in front of a car in the street, would you be worried about, you know, I don't know, you know, what the driver's going to think if I go out and rescue that child. No, you're just going to go out 
You're not going to care about yourself. You're going to care about saving that child. And God wants us to have the courage to talk to people about him. Talk to people in this season about Easter and the resurrection, inviting people to come to our Easter service, which is on April 1st this year. Uh, it's coming up just a few weeks away. And you can do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's why God saved you. You know, everybody says God saved us to go to heaven. That's right. If that was the only reason God saved you, you wouldn't be here. He'd just take you straight to heaven. You get saved, you go to heaven. But we're here for a purpose. We're here for a purpose of working with him to see other people saved. It's, it's part of the adventure that God created us to live. Now, we're going to talk more about this next Sunday in a lot more detail. But, you know, what does it mean to lead somebody to become a believer, to become a Christian? It's, it's really quite simple. A person has to admit that they've sinned and repent or turn away from that sin. Secondly, and that's often ignored, you know, it's not just a matter of saying, hey, forgive me and I'm just going to keep on sinning. No, you've got to turn away from your sin and put your faith, your belief in Jesus as your Savior. He died on the cross that our sins might be forgiven and he rose from the dead and then committing your life to following Jesus as both your Savior and your Lord, doing everything that he tells us to do. So let's bow our heads right now and if you've never prayed a prayer like this before, I'd encourage you to pray along with me. Oftentimes people, if they've strayed from God, need to recommit their lives to Him, to following His commands. And you can do that as well with this prayer. Say something like this, Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've, I've done wrong things. And I Turn away from those things. I don't want to do that anymore. I believe that Jesus died on the cross that my sins might be forgiven. Please forgive me. I believe you rose from the dead and you're alive today. And I commit myself to following you as my Savior and Lord. I want to do what you want me to do. I want a new kind of life. A life lived not for myself, but for you. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, today we, we thank you for making possible a life of adventure with you. Forgive us for being so focused on ourselves and everything we have to do in our own lives that we don't notice lost people who are all around us. Help us to have eyes to see people like Jesus does. Help us to get our eyes off ourselves and to care about other people, that other people would matter to us. Show us how to overcome shyness, God, and timidity, and be bold in being your witnesses. We don't have to worry about having our heads chopped off or being thrown in prison. We just have to worry about somebody saying no. Well, you endured much worse than that, God, and, and we can too. Help us to be bold in our witnesses. Give us opportunities to talk to people about Easter, to invite people to Easter services, God, Help us to develop a list of people that we can pray for each and every day. The people in our harvest field, which will be different for every person here. The people that you have placed in our circle of acquaintances, our circle of relationships. God, we pray that you give us opportunities to talk to these people, to get to know them, to get to know where they're at, 
with respect to their spiritual life and to share Jesus with them. We thank you, God, for what you're going to do through each of us and through our church family as we grow as your witnesses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.